Are you the kind of gal who isn't interested in living the status quo life, who wants to hear from other ladies that are paving their own way while making waves? Well then, She Makes Waves is for you. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayuga. Join me as I follow my curiosity around what living a successful life really means. Let's dive in. All right, guys, I'm super excited today. We have Amy Galvin on the show. Amy is a career mom empowerment coach, fair play life method facilitator, chief culture officer at Luxury Living Chicago, and a mentor for women in business. I've wanted to talk to her for a while, but I'm glad I waited till I was a mom because I've got so many questions. Hi, I'm so <laughs> happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we met at the wing, like maybe close to three years ago now at a podcasting meetup. And, um, I just, I was like drawn to following you. And actually at the time you were like, you got to talk to my, my hairstylist yeah. and I connected with her, but we never really got the episode, um, off the ground, but I'm so excited because in that time you've segued from being a big part and I'll let you kind of get into it, but, um, you've you just completely like, it's been fun to watch you transition your career. But I think that the jump off point I'd like to start with is I've been watching We Crashed and you had an Instagram recently where you were like, oh my gosh, like in a very extreme version, it's like, this is my story. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you got to? Yeah, sure. So I co-founded a real estate business with my husband about 15 years ago and we had both been working in various marketing jobs and he had started doing some real estate on the side. And after a couple of years, he was like, yeah, I really like the real estate. I'm really good at it. And um, long story short, I was like, well, I believe in you. And I think you can go off and do this on your own and I can help you. <laughs> so that's kind of the genesis. And that's really what I saw a lot of in the We Crashed story is that she, Rebecca Newman, <laughs> really believed in Adam Newman and his vision and his energy and everything. So it starts there. We grew this business together um, and it was a really hard experience. It was a really amazing experience. I mean, to work with your significant other so closely and to build something is very unique. And I, I always explain that it worked so well for us because we each brought something to the table that the other one didn't have. And we complemented each other really, really well in our skill sets. So it evolved where this business started to grow. It became very successful, quite honestly, to the point where we were so busy. We had so much business. We didn't have enough employees to help us. So we started adding more people to the team and that added another dynamic where it was like, okay, now we've got these great people here and we have to take care of them and we have to nurture them as well. And we started a family like in the middle of all of this. So we had our first daughter, um, we lived in the city and it was, it was crazy. There were a lot of things about that first year of my daughter's life that I quite honestly regret. I wasn't around as much. We had a nanny. She came to the house. My husband and I worked really, really late. There were some mornings where the nanny came and, and got my daughter up and I was still in bed because I had been up till two, three o'clock in the morning working. 
So it's a real shadow side for me, for sure. Um, But this is what we're taught. We're taught the American dream is to have a successful business that grows so big, that's worth so much. And this whole time, you know, I'm growing this along with him. I'm supporting him. I'm believing in him. We're adding people. There's some business trauma that happens with, you know, people coming and going and quitting and needing to be fired and all of that. And then the pandemic happens. And we're about a team of 50 at this time. We're doing multi-million dollar revenue. I've got the successful business. I you know, have two daughters at this point. I live in the suburbs in a beautiful home. Um, and the pandemic happens. And then we have to just stay home and not go anywhere anymore. And I really took that time to start reflecting and say like, what, what, what have I been doing? (laughs) What, what has been happening to me? And I realized that like, I had checked all the boxes, but I was doing it all to achieve it all. And it didn't feel very good. And I, I wasn't happy. And I was so grateful for the time that I had with my daughters because they were home from school, everything was remote. And I was just like, what a, like, yes, pandemic scary. I don't know what was gonna happen with my business. I didn't wanna get sick, all of these things, but also like, what a beautiful gift I was given to be like, okay, I'm here with my daughters. I'm here with my husband. We don't have to rush around. We don't have to go anywhere. We had to do a lot of things within our business to make sure that like our team members were taken care of and things and our clients were taken care of and things were moving forward as best they could. But it felt really good, honestly. (laughs) And that created a huge paradigm shift for me because I was like, okay, it feels like I get a, a mulligan here, a do-over. I get to I get to choose differently. At some point, this is going to end and life is going to start to progress. And I can either choose to go back and do all the same things I was doing, or I can learn from this and change things in my life. And that's where you came in and saw some of that transformation and transition in my life because I really took the opportunity to make the change. Now to bring it back to We Crashed. Yeah. So for many, many years as we were growing this business, I always questioned if this was my vision, if this was what I truly wanted. I 100% believe in my husband. I 100% believe in the company and the business that we've built and all the people that work for us. But when I really thought about it, I was like, is this aligned with me? Do I really want to be like an executive at a real estate company? And the answer was no. Honestly, it was no. I just am not made for that. I I really am a very service-oriented person. And yes, I'm servicing the people within my organization. And that feels really good to me. But I do feel like I was meant to do something different. And that's where I was like, I'll go be a coach, right? I, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I don't have anywhere to commute to. I can fill my time with something else. And at the time I was like, well, I'll, maybe I'll go be a coach because that will help my employees that I have to like 
support through this crazy time, I felt like all my management and leadership skills, like I kind of didn't have the tricks in my box to help people through a pandemic. So I was like, maybe being a coach would be a way to do that. And I could really learn some different skills and be able to help them. Well, I think I went went to coaching school for myself, quite honestly, because when I read about the various coaching schools and the the coaching school that I landed on IPEC, everything, every review that I read said how wonderful it was, how life-changing it was, how transformative it was. And I was like, oh, okay, this is either going to be like a cult or this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because for years I had been saying to my husband, Aaron, like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to be a part of the business. And he'd always be like, well, what are you going to do? That's always like the million dollar question. What are you going to do? And I'm like, I never had an answer ever. And finally, once I went to coaching school and I was like, okay, I know I don't want to be the same role in the business that I was playing. I had these new career skills that I could use and and take to other people. I was a service oriented person. So now all of these things started to crystallize and for me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a coach. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. So that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. And I love your spin on it because, you know, like, you know, some things like you don't notice because you're not going through it. But now that I'm a mom, like seeing like you know, like you talking about the complexities of being like the default parent, like the thing that I see, because I have so many clients that are like working executive style moms. And it's like, they, they have that big career, but then it's not like at home, their life gets a lot easier. It's not like, okay, like they've got all this. And I think you speak really beautifully about it. Cause you're like, the service person came today and like my husband was on a call, but I was busy too. And, um, I don't know. I just think it's so refreshing because it's like, I think it's a rub that so many of us feel and, and so many of us don't talk about. Um, but it's like, you know, even before this episode, you were saying something that I've never heard before. And so I want to like, bring it up. It's just this idea that like, I have a more flexible job, like this undertone of like my partner's job is more important than mine. Even if it's not being said, it's being communicated through little things. And I was telling you like, you know, like my job didn't feel super flexible when I'm trying to drop my kid off at daycare with 103 degree fever. And I've got a full day of clients starting in a half an hour that didn't feel flexible. No, that is not flexible at all. (laughs) And I was listening to your, your episode about that. And I was like, yep, yep, this is, this is the default parent right here and default parent, she fault parent. It, you know, I say she fault because it is usually the mother. And we like are told this story about how we have more flexibility. And that's because a man's time is valued more than a woman's. Like it, it just is. And that's how we operate as a society. And a lot of what we have achieved as a society is built on the backs of the unpaid labor of women in this country. And I think that became super, super obvious during the pandemic because dudes were home and they were like, oh, this is what happens, you know? And I think that it opened their, I think they, everybody always knew that this was going on to some degree, but because everybody was home, and they saw what it took to operate a home 
and raise children and care give and be a part of that in some way, um, it be, it shed this new light on it. And especially now as we're in this like return to work situation, we're going to see a lot of women opt to stay remote because of that flexibility. And men are gonna return to the office because they have more freedom to do so. (laughs) So this all came into my awareness because my husband and I were equals in our professional relationship. We were co-founders of this business. We would go to work, we divided up accountabilities. And one of the things that I know that he really loves about me and is very attracted to me for is my way that I operate in business. I'm very organized. I take charge. I have great ideas. And he really gets turned on by that, quite honestly. But we would come home and it was like I was a 1950s housewife. It was like, oh, what would you like for dinner, dear? And he wasn't treating me that way. It was just that that's the, the dynamic that existed. And I, you know, had to think about what were we going to have for dinner and how was the weekend going to go? We have 16 birthday parties that we have to get to and presents to buy for them and soccer between that. And what is the, you know, who's going to do what? And men just don't have those thoughts because the work doesn't rely on them. That invisible labor of caregiving and domestic engineering just isn't something that they do because of a lot of, you know, societal messaging and programming, also family dynamics growing up. You know, I think we can all look back on our own nuclear families and see who played what role in the home. And that informs a lot of what happens as you become an adult and and get into your own family. And then, like I said, just, just the fact that women's time is not valued the same as men's And on top of that, you know, I always talk about it from the woman's perspective, but I think it's really important to talk about it from the man's perspective. He's got a lot of pressure on him to be in the boardroom, to perform, to show up for work, to be at those meetings. It doesn't feel natural or acceptable for him to be like, well, I can't come to that meeting because I got to go pick up my kid from school, right? I think it's becoming more part of the conversation but it doesn't feel as easy for a man to do that where a woman could say, I got to go, I got to pick up my kid from daycare. And like, it will be understood that that's her job, but do employers really respect that she needs the permission or the ability to do that without being judged or feeling shame on her and for having to do that? And that's kind of my new life's work is to go out there and help people unlearn and help break cycles because I have two daughters and I certainly don't want them growing up and operating their homes in that way and having their relationships, whatever those look like for them in the future with all of this falling on them as likely the mothers in the household. Well, and how much, I'm just curious because I relate to a lot of what you're saying. And if, if I like previous to having the self-awareness to see these patterns, I always say like, oh, I mean, I was like a girl, like Brene Brown reading, like take no shit kind of person 
before. So how hard is it for you? And how hard was it for you to see this? Because I have a feeling like you were never like, you know, like just taking it or accepting it. It was just, it just was. It just was. Yeah. But it didn't feel good. And I think that was my clue, Mm -hmm. right? Because I too am like, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore feminist or anything like that, but I certainly was like, yeah, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a job. And even when I have kids, I'm going to work. And, you know, that was always my plan. Yeah. And so I executed on that plan. And I think a lot of people do, but then they don't realize like what comes along with that. And so when I was in these situations where I was coming home from work and I was like, oh my God, I'm exhausted, but I still have to cook dinner and I have to clean it up. And I got to make sure that the school lunches are packed and all this stuff. And also like, I have help. Like, I'm not going to hide that. I have a nanny. My parents live like in the next subdivision for us. There was always helping hands, but it didn't mean that like the mental load didn't fall on me. The emotional labor didn't fall on me. The logistics of everything didn't fall on me. I was like the CEO of it. And I'd be like, all right, you're picking up a two and you're doing this and here's the grocery delivery and I got to put it away and, and all these things. But, um, you know, in the moment when these things were occurring to me, I was like, oh my God, this sucks. Like, yeah, I, I hate this. This is terrible. This is, does not feel fulfilling or rewarding to be a mom and to be working at the same time. And so I, I did set out to find solutions because that's who I am. I, I will problem solve, especially when it comes to like, this doesn't feel good for me. Like there has to be a different way. And that's where I came upon an article in the Huffington Post. And it was this article uh, where this woman was describing the default parent. So it put a name to it. And it was, I was like, yes, yes, this is how I'm feeling. I am the default parent. And once I recognized and it had like a name and I could like give it that, that definition, that helped right? Because I would, okay, this is what it is. I'm the default parent. Now the article didn't give me a ton of solutions about what to do as the default parent, but at least I had a name for it. Right. (laughs) And then I shared that article on my Facebook page and all my mom's friends who I knew who worked outside of the home and who didn't work outside of the home was like, yes, this is, this is so true. So I was like, okay, I'm onto something here. Um, and I, and I told Aaron about it. I'm like, I'm the default parent. He's like, great. I, you know, okay, sure. Like it was never like, he didn't want to hear it. He was just like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, what do you want me to do? That's always the question. Like, how can I help? But I, I couldn't get there. I was like, well, I could ask him to do this, but then he's going to do it this way. And it's not going to be the way that I want him to do it. And I couldn't get out of my own way, essentially. And then time passed and you know, I think I let him help a little bit more than normal, or at least I sat with all of this information. But in like October of 2019, I noticed that Reese Witherspoon's book club selection was this book called Fair Play. And it was kind of a departure for her because usually she would have, you know, these fictional books and (laughs) these women's stories, but she chose this book and it was not that it was like a how to 
book, essentially, written by a woman named Eve Rodsky. And this book was all about being the default parent and how to approach and communicate with your partner, what that means and how to ask for help and why we need help and why it's so hard for us to ask for that help. And then it also provided a system to help with division of accountabilities in the home. And I was just blown away by this book. The whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. And Eve's story is that she is an organizational expert. So she was feeling these things in her own partnership and home life. And she devised the system and she wrote this book. And I would tell everybody about this book. So like people who were going to become like first time moms, I'd be like, you got to read Fair Play. Oh, have you read Fair Play? Oh, you're a working mom. Okay. Re- read Fair Play. That, that was just what I always said. And last fall or maybe at the end of the summer, I had always interacted with Fair Play's Instagram and Eve on Instagram. She's very communicative. And so she got some funding from Hello Sunshine recently because they just got acquired and they got a ton of capital infusion. And they're, you know, Reese Witherspoon is amazing and she just wants to help and promote and tell women's stories and all these beautiful things. And she wants to support Eve and Fair Play even further. And Eve had this idea because she gets so many DMs about, do you have someone who can teach us how to do this? Can somebody coach me how to do this? And she is taking that, that, you know, um, investment and she created an actual program methodology to teach women because she can't possibly go everywhere to companies and in people's homes and teach this to them if they want to take it further than the book. And, um, they wanted to train facilitators on how to do this. And I got a DM from Fairplay and they're like, hey, we're starting this. You've been a long time, you know, supporter. And I was a certified coach at that point. And they were like, do you want to be a part of this? And it was a hell yes, because all Mm -hmm. these things were lining up for me where it was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to be this coach. I believe I want to service women. And I think I'm going to, you know, coach career moms. And that was becoming very clear to me. And now I was offered this new modality that I could add to my coaching. You know, there are some people who want to be taught fair play pure, but even if they're not interested necessarily in fair play specifically, it always comes up in our sessions And it's always, you know, it it usually starts with all of this unlearning that we have to do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, when you were talking, I feel like there's so many times where I can like, look at like my upbringing and be like, you know, just kind of like how it was echoed. Like, this is what moms do. This is what, this is what it looks like. Moms don't have as much free time or like, you know, like I remember when my sister was a mom before I was, I would, I said to my mom, like, God, it just seems like she doesn't have any time for herself. And, you know, and I started to see it and she was like, Lindsay, that's what, that's what it is. That's what being a mom is. And I'm like, and then when I became one, I'm like, I just, I don't want to settle for this. But I think I thought that that, you know, and the messaging is like, and it's no fault of my own family. It's, it's the beyond that it's the messaging that like from society, but I just, 
keep being like, well, this just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. It shouldn't be like this. No. Yeah. And that's, that's martyrdom, right? I think like we have all witnessed that to a degree where it's like, yeah, that's just what it is. Mom's just sacrifice. It's just what we do. I'm a sacrificer. And like, yes, of course you want to make sure that your family has everything that they need and everybody is feeling good and, and thriving. But at what cost? At the cost of your own happiness? Yeah. And like when you work with people and like, and even in your own experience, like how much of your, cause I can relate this to how I operate in my business previous to being a mom, the sense of self-worth or the, you know, the mimicking of self-worth that being needed gave me. Um, because I luckily became a mom when I was in a much healthier place. Um, so I don't get my significance or my, um, you know, like my sense of worth from being Birdie's mom, which I feel like takes a fucking load off her, which is great. But also like, I just, but I can relate it to not being a mom and to needing to be uh, everything to everyone because of how it made me feel. So how often, how much did you struggle with that? And how much do you see that being like women's number one issue is that it's what makes them feel significant? I'm going to be really honest here. Like I don't get that self-worth from being a mom. I can totally see that, that I see that in other people. I just was never like, oh yeah, being a mom is like everything to me. And my children are everything to me. I love my children. It, this is like, they are why I'm doing this work because I want to change things for them. And I want them to have a different experience, but I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. No, even when I'm like cleaning up after her, I'm like, I actually hate this. Like, this is not where I see myself. Like, and then like when people are like, oh, you're gonna have another one. I'll literally be on the floor cleaning shit, like, like food off the floor. And I'm like, why would I ever do this again? And I'll look at her and be like, I love you so much. But I'm also like, and I, and I love her as a person. I can't wait to be in her life as she gets older, but I don't, I don't enjoy the day-to-day tasks. Like I like signing her up for activities, but like her nanny's at an activity with her right now. I feel fortunate to be able to do that, but I don't enjoy Like I get enough of a zing out of seeing her to dance class. I don't need to be there. No, not for me. So it's like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like initially when I became a mom, I thought like, am I doing it wrong? Because I don't feel those things. I mean, I felt a connection to her, but I never got my, I never was like, oh my gosh, like, like she kind of runs on macaroni and French fries. And I don't get my, I don't feel like I don't hang my hat on like, she eats an amazing diet. She doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of the mommy wars that we see out there right and the perfectionism and social media really really ramps this up and I think you know for people like us who don't get a lot of our worth out of our kids when we see that kind of stuff maybe we feel a little bad like oh well maybe I'm not the best mom I don't feed them this like vegan colorful plate yeah I'm like it's yellow it's all yellow (laughs) you know what sometimes you just gotta get through it and you know in the end they'll be okay kids are really really resilient and you just got to do what you got to do but that's the other side of this is that perfectionism mommy wars aspect of it and I think that doing the work that I'm doing I know I'm not going to be able to change everyone 
there are people out there who are obsessed with their kids and want to feed them a rainbow colorful plate and put a lot of their self-worth on their children. That's okay. You know, that that's how they are. But I think for people like you and me who want something different, we've been made to feel bad maybe about that sometimes and, and have some guilt around that. But like, oh, well, I guess I'm not a good mom because I don't feed the rainbow plate to my kid. But that's not true. I think everybody is really doing the best that they can in the end. And so for women who have that feeling of like, this is, this is it, this is all there is about motherhood and I have to do everything and my husband or partner is not helping me with things, you know, I think, and I have a job that I love. I have a career that I love. I have a profession. I love that side of myself, but doing that and raising children is really, really difficult and I feel overwhelmed. How can I make this experience better for myself? Those are my clients, really, because that's where I'm like, okay, so you're at this crossroads. Let's teach you some things about why you feel that way. So you can like understand that you are totally normal for feeling that way. Yeah. And let's give you some skills and some ways and tools and ways that you can engage your partner, explain the them what's going on and now there's this awesome system that you can put into place that it does not divide everything 50 50 i want to be really clear about that the whole purpose of it is to bring more equity into the home so equity doesn't always mean that everything is even steven (laughs) however it does mean that some things are taken off of your plate and that there is accountability on the other side. And the beautiful thing about fair play in the system is that once your partner starts to engage in more things, and first it's gonna be like, oh my God, chores. I have to do chores. (laughs) Yeah, chores, that's how houses run. But once they start doing those things and they start interacting more with their children and having these like, what, what is called like the space between. So it's like, okay, my husband's going to drive my daughter Lana to her soccer game. Yes, that is a chore. But what happens on the way to the soccer game in the car is they have these really great conversations with each other and they spend time and he comes home and he tells me a cute story about something that she said and she gets that one-on-one time with him. And so, yeah, it's a chore. It's an accountability. You have to take your child to soccer. You have to you know, drive her there, but they get these moments together. And if he was always working or didn't want to do carpool or help with some of those things, he would miss out on those really cute organic moments and conversations with her. So that's what this is about too. It's not just about all the work. And how much of it would you say is like, you know, like I know for myself, like when I can think about like when I get in the lurch or when I'm struggling in my relationship, it tends to be that like the lack of communication. Is that something that like, like, I don't know, like women are so frustrated and it's so like, like backed up the frustration, like, like they're constipatedly frustrated and like, and so like how much like do people, are they just not talking? And then the mom's just like, yeah, like turns into a martyr or super resentful. It's just like, and then it explodes. Yeah. 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 Because so, you know, for myself, it was a ton of resentment. I just had so much resentment. I was like, I'm so resentful of him. What I've recently learned, and actually Brene Brown, I heard her explain 
resentment, we think it's anger. It's actually jealousy. Ooh. I have a lot of, je- I've had a lot of jealousy in my life as it turns out. Yeah. And when I heard her say that, cause I've been talking about resentment for a while because that is the exact way that I felt in, in this dynamic where I would come home and everything would land on me. And when I heard her explain it that way, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that he doesn't have to think about what to make for dinner. And I'm jealous that like he gets to you know, we work from home now and my office is on the first floor and his is on the second floor. Nobody bothers him. Okay. During like when they come home from school and we're working, it's like, everybody knows don't go upstairs and bother daddy. But me, we can just come in and out willy nilly. I might be like on a zoom call and I got people standing at my door trying to get my attention. And I'm jealous that he gets that uninterrupted freedom and time to work. And uh, oh my God, talk about after dinner when, you know, he just goes and sits on the couch and starts scrolling on his phone and no one thinks to ask him for anything, or I'm the one who's cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. Yeah. That I am envious of his experience. Yeah, no, I mean, that just helps me. I don't know. Like, but for me, when I can name things, I'm like, oh my gosh, it just gives me an awareness for it. And almost not like it evaporates the problem, but you're like, I can name it. And like you, even as you were talking, I was like, I'm jealous that my husband gets to go on five day work trips where he does something he loves. I I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe like, that's a great way to have that conversation with him. You know, yeah. like, listen, I don't want to yell at you. I don't want to have conflict. I need to tell you how I'm feeling. It's not your fault. It's not his fault. No, right? but he, what it, how it plays out is he comes back from that trip and he's like, oh, I can do birdies nighttime. Well, I would hope you would be doing her nighttime. Exactly. I would hope that that would be the plan for tonight. <laughs> And that's how it plays. That's how it plays out. Right, right. You're like, yes, of course. Yeah. So I'm gonna go do something for me. Say that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like I can't even believe we're having this conversation, and it's like, oh, this is spiraling. Um, Yeah. No, the self awareness and like, yeah, all of that. I just that just really blows my mind. Yeah. So fair play. Um, it will, there, there's like all these great little assessments that you can take and that I have. And it's like, what kind of communicator are you? Right. Like, are you the person who bottles it up all inside and then it all comes out in rage towards your partner? Are you the drill sergeant? So are you giving commands all the time? You know, so you really are able like you said, you really like it when you can name it and understand it. And so once you start understanding these things about yourself, because it always starts with you, you know, before I think you can have that conversation with your partner and engage them in a way, in a meaningful way, you have to understand all of these things about how you got there, (laughs) why it's happening to you, what your role is in it, because we all have these internalized messages and we're all a little complicit in our, Oh yeah. In our inconvenient truth is what I like to say. (laughs) I have a question. So how helpful is it? Because I find that, you know, I, you know, regardless of if it's a working mom or a mom that's staying home, I've found like such community and like being honest about 
my struggles, my setbacks, the things that I have to contend with, even if it's someone who's doing life differently than me. And like, I don't know, I guess I would love to know, like, is it helpful to have female friends of all different walks? And, or is it just like, let's say you kind of all talk about the same struggles you have. Is that productive or is that actually going to have adverse effects or all make us feel more entitled to acting the way we do or to being like, well, I would hope you'd put her down for tonight. Like how much, how, cause I see both sides to it. Yeah. Everybody needs a bitch sesh, right? <laughs> like everybody needs to commiserate. I think that's, that helps us know we're not alone. It helps us to normalize the experience a little bit too, and be like, oh, okay, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. However, once you get that all out, it would be great if there was then a conversation about, well, what are we going to do about it? Because I think sometimes we're just like, yeah, my husband, I can't believe he did this. Da, 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 da. And then we just go right back to repeating the same pattern. Yeah. 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 So it's like, yeah, my husband did this. I can't believe he did this. Why am I feeling that way about what he did? Oh, what's my role in it? Okay. How can we help? I think those conversations with women, friends who are moms, who you are commiserating with, like, I think it would be a lot more productive if we had some solutions then, or, Hey, let's try this instead. This is what's helped me. Yeah. Yeah, The the one thing that I get asked like that a lot, not get asked, but the thing that comes up a lot is like, I have clients, I have friends, I have all different women that are like, how do I get my husband to go to therapy? (laughs) Yeah. Because like, they want it to be better. And like, and I'm wondering, like, would they be better off talking to someone like you and kind of coming from the angle of like, it's more like, this is what I need. And it's not focused on the issues that their partner has, because I feel like there's a roadblock here for so many women to move forward. And it's at the participation of their husband and maybe the angle that women try and take, cause you know, like my husband is in therapy, but like I had to almost get divorced to get that done. So I, I know that like the issues that people are being really vulnerable about saying like, I don't know how to get him to go to therapy. And I feel like they feel as though they don't have a way forward because that's prohibiting them from moving forward. Is there, is, is there another way to go? Yeah. I mean, I think it always starts with you first. Like if you want somebody else to do something, Mm -hmm. then start with you and how it impacts you and explore that first. And then I think it gives you that like self-reflection, self-discovery about why do I need this to happen? Like we all know these things. We don't want to get, want to have a better relationship, but if you can find something deeper on a deeper level that like, okay, this is why I want him to go to therapy. Right. And then calmly be able to have those conversations. Cause I think sometimes, like you said, it almost took you having to get a divorce for that to happen. And I was like, I don't care if you go, go, don't go see ya. And you know, maybe to your point, the point of it is, is like, you have to let go of that being the goal and get right with yourself. And it allows that other person to make the adjustments and the changes that, you know, that need to be made to make something work. And yeah, maybe the focus is too much external. Like as you were talking, I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, she's basically explaining what I did. It's just the way I said it came out and like, a, like I threatened it, which is not what happened. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, that's how the other person is perceiving it, that they're being given an ultimatum, they're mm-hmm. being threatened. And if it, I, I'm always a big believer in like, if you, walking the talk, right? Like, I would like you to go to therapy. I'm going to go as well. Here's why. I think if you went to therapy, it could give you a lot of XYZ and then we could come together and our relationship would be so much better and we would have less conflict. We'd have skills and tools to be able to speak to each other calmly. We could, we're a real partnership here. And then I think that feels a little bit better that like, oh, the goal is like to have a better partnership, not to not get divorced. Yes. <laughs> Even totally. though the, it's the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. Outcome, it's just maybe how. The intention behind it's different. The intention behind it is different. Yeah, which it's everything uh, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> so where can people find you? Where can people go to work with you? Because I feel like what you're doing, like, I mean, I would even say like, if you were going to have a kid, it'd be worth doing this facilitate, you know, working with someone. Cause like, this is all stuff that like would create a foundation of just peace. Yeah. So what was really fascinating to me is when I was going through the training for, um, fair play, there were coaches, there were family therapists, there were, um, like birthing specialists, doulas and, and things like that, who are all adding, this to their service offerings, especially people who work with people who are pregnant, because to get this knowledge before the child comes to have this understanding to be like, okay, here's what we need to be prepared for. It's good. It's going to be a game changer for you. And I actually do have some people who come to me and say, we're thinking about starting a family. I want to know more about this before that baby arrives. So I think that's such a brilliant thing. And that's also why, like, I'd find out people were pregnant. I'd be like, read this book. Yeah, I want to, I'm like, see the, the title behind you. And I'm like, I want to get it. Yeah. It's, it's a great book. Then, um, she created cards to go along with it to, you know, to make it a little bit more gamified. And then you can play a game with those cards. It's a great way to just get familiar with it, but it's called cards for humanity. I love that. You you know, you pick out a card and it might say bath time. And then you just say like, what is this bringing up for me? And you share a story with your partner about bath time, whatever that means to you. And it just helps you to get on a deeper level than just chores. Um, But where people can find me is I am on Instagram, amygalvin05. (laughs) I have uh, a website, amygalvincoaching.com. So you can go on there. I've got blogs and download resources and all sorts of things. Um, I do complimentary introductory sessions. So if you want to just explore, you're not sure yet if this is for you and you just want to have a conversation, I am always happy to do that. I think, you know, try before you buy. It's great. (laughs) Um, And also sometimes people just aren't ready yet and that's okay. They want to have a conversation. There's a seed of, you know, curiosity planted. And then maybe in a year they might come back and be like, okay, I'm ready now. And I'm never going to force somebody to do something they don't want to do. It's always a suggestion. It's just, you know, this, this could work for you if it resonates great. If not, no worries. Um, it may hit differently at different points of your time, at different points of your life. So no, totally. It sounds like I'm here when you're ready. 
here when you're ready. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so happy we did this. Me too.